Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. You've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Welcome to a brand new week. And uh, welcome to a little discussion here on what I call taxing you by the mile. Uh, we talked a little bit about it this morning on KTRH. I want to talk about it a little bit more detail here on KPRC AM 950 because it's coming. And it's another one of those things that I've been warning about for years, but but now it's getting closer to reality. And the reason why it's getting closer to reality is because the 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 work is well underway to ban the convert, con, the. <laughs> It's Monday, right? Hard to talk on a Monday. Because work is well underway to ban the internal combustion engine, which runs on gasoline. And gasoline, of course, carries a gas tax. There's an 18.4 cent per gallon tax, federal tax. And here in Texas, we have a 20 cent per gallon state tax. So the price you pay at the pump here in Texas, 38.4 cents per gallon is chalked up to taxes. Now, there are other states where it's a lot more. Uh, Pennsylvania has the highest. I think it's like 61 cents. That's just for the state tax. Uh, Then you've got Alaska with the lowest. It's under 9 cents per gallon. Of course, they produce a lot of oil. Pennsylvania used to produce a lot of oil, too. So I'm not quite sure how Pennsylvania's got all out of whack. But at any rate, um, that is revenue. You know, think about that, 38.4 cents per gallon here in Texas that's going to taxes um, to just maintain the roads and infrastructure and all that. And as you can imagine, uh, we have done our level best to kind of tax, low tax our way out of, out of this particular formula. Because what has happened over the course of time is, is cars become, have become more and more fuel efficient. And as they become more fuel efficient, they burn less gas. And as they burn less gas, the amount of revenue coming in from the gas tax has gone down. So even if we weren't getting ready to ban the internal combustion engine, they still would be looking for a way to finance roads that did not involve the gas tax or involved additional revenue in addition to the gas tax. So that's where you come with tax them by the mile. How many miles they drive. Now, it's only recently that the technology's caught up to make this very feasible thing to do. Now, I don't know what kind of vehicle you drive. I happen to drive a Chevy Traverse. Uh, nothing fancy. You know, it's a, it's a mid-sized SUV. It gets good mileage. I think I, I average something like 22, 23 miles per gallon. So it gets decent mileage. Um, 
and I I usually burn it. It has like a twenty, is it a twenty one or twenty two? It's a twenty one or twenty two gallon gas tank, which I fill up once a week, and then maybe put another ten bucks in uh, to get me through my Friday, and then in the in the weekend I do it all over again. So if I'm putting in twenty one gallons, oh geez, here we get into the math. If I put, I'm going to round things uh, up here a little bit. Let's say the combined total of federal and state would be forty cents times twenty one. You know, that's 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 like eight nine bucks that I spend a week in taxes. That's just for me. But I drive a lot more a lot more miles. I probably drive an average of a hundred miles a day, at least Monday through Friday. So five hundred miles Monday through Friday. And then probably another twenty or thirty on the weekend. So I'm, you know, some, let's just say six hundred miles a week. So where is there more of an opportunity to make revenue when I'm driving something that's relatively fuel efficient? The way to make more revenue is to charge me by the mile than to charge me by the gallon, because again, as 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 vehicles become more fuel efficient. It, there's a lot more money to be made by charging by the mile. The, the problem is the technology didn't really exist to do that for a long, long time. But now it does. Think about your car. That same Chevy Traverse I have is completely computerized. I get a notification from Chevrolet every month about how many miles are on my odometer, what my tire pressure is, if I'm due for any service, if I'm due for an oil change, all that type of stuff. So Chevrolet knows exactly, GM knows exactly how many miles I've driven. And it would be very easy <laughs> to report this information to the government. And something tells me GM would be more than willing to do that. I don't know that for a fact. But if we, if we went to a, uh, a tax-by-the-mile situation, it'd be really easy for Chevrolet to report exactly how many miles I put on my vehicle. And at the end of the year, they could tell the federal government exactly how many miles I drove. And depending upon what the tax is, they can take out the money. Now, they would probably do it, I don't know, would they do it like once a month? Would they do it, uh, I don't know how often they would do it. Maybe they would do it like we do the tolls. It'd be the same sort of mechanism, though. Just like, you know, the tollway knows, you know, how many toll booths you've gone past so they know how much to charge you for using the tolls. They can do the same thing with your with your your mileage. So the technology is there. It'd be very very easy to do. The question is not the convenience of it. The question is, do we want the government to have hands on information, not only about how far you've driven, but where you've gone. I mean, think of the other possibilities with this. They could, they could use it to track you, to keep track of where you're going, what you're doing. Not that I'm, you know, naive enough to think that we aren't already doing that to a certain extent. But I don't know. This whole tax by the mile thing. Not to mention, we don't know how much they would tax this by the mile. I mean, here's an opportunity for them to jack up the tax rate, and there'd be no escaping it. Back with more in a moment, Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. Today, 
but it is the first day that you can actually file your 2022 income tax returns. January 23rd, the first day you can do that. So I thought, well, let's, let's go ahead and check in, especially for those of us who probably won't be turning it in until <laughs> April 15th. Uh, let's check in with Bill Demby. Bill, of course, is one of our favorite to go-to guys for financial things. He's also a great tax expert. You'll find him at RaymondJames.com. All right, Bill Demby. I'm sure you just filed your taxes. You filed yours today, did you? Well, you know, people who are expecting a refund, it makes sense to get ahead of the curve. If you know you're going to get a refund and knowing the IRS has been so backlogged last year, I mean, even if you do things electronically, it's going to take them three weeks on average to process things. And if you do a paper return, you might as well forget it. It's taken <laughs> months to get those returns done. So I think getting ahead of the curve is important if you're going to get a refund. Right. Now, right. for a lot of folks are like, well, you know, that sounds great, but I don't even have all my data to do the, to do the return yet. And in that situation, I'd say, well, let's wait and make sure you've got everything you need because it sure is a pain having to go back and do corrective returns and such. So make sure you have it all together. But when you're ready, uh, for most people, it doesn't make much sense to wait. Uh, for those who have complex investments that don't have all their data out, uh, people who have things like K-1s that don't even come out until uh, February and March, and then they're corrected later on. Uh, these people have gotten used to just filing in October, going ahead and getting the automatic extension. But for those who have a pretty simple return and they know they're going to get a refund, let's go ahead and get her done. Okay. Well, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, for, unfortunately for me, that's not simple. It's not the case (laughs) as usual. It's not the case, but, um, what I'm wondering is, and I'm sure what everybody else is wondering, are there any major changes for 2022 versus 2021? Are, are there any are there any tax deductions and credits that have gone away? Uh, yes, and I think it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise when they file their returns, especially those who are on in the middle to the lower end of the income, where you think we'd have more benefits. But the challenge is we had so much relief provided over the past couple of years that now that some of that relief has gone away, they're going to be surprised when they see that they don't get as big of a tax refund this year versus what they may have gotten last year. One thing I, too, remember, too, from last year, one of the few things that you have been able to write off, and I guess you still can, but they've made it a little bit more difficult, is you can still write off mortgage interest, correct? The interest you pay on your mortgage loan. That's correct. Okay. But you still have to itemize your deductions to do that. Uh, And a lot of people are saying, well, the standard deductions are high enough such that where if I take all the time to itemize my mortgage interest expense and my state sales taxes and other uh, deductions, it doesn't really get me beyond what I'm already able to get for free. So why do all the paperwork? Right. And I, I think that that was kind of the, uh, the blessing of them raising the standard deductions up so much, but it also is creating a uh, situation where a lot of people are um, not able to take some of the deductions that the, used to be a big deal for them. So there may not be that benefit of carrying the mortgage that we had if we're just taking the standard deduction. In addition, um, the charitable deduction, which we were allowed to take $300 per person, $600 per couple, even if we were taking the standard deduction last year, has gone away. So the only way you get to deduct those charitable contributions is if you're doing the itemization. Well, with in 2022, for a married couple, they're able to take um, uh, $25,900 as the standard deduction. And at that level, when they start adding up the 
the mortgage interest paid and the uh, uh, sales taxes paid and uh, uh, property taxes paid, they they end up saying, well, gosh, it's about the uh, it's about the same. So I think charities may be adversely impacted as people suddenly realize that some of these charitable deductions aren't going to be allowed by the majority of taxpayers. And not that taxpayers do gifts to their charities because they're looking for deductions. I think most of the people that are given to their church or given to their favorite charities are truly altruistic and they're doing it for the benefit of the organization. But that tax benefit has gone away for a whole lot of people because we can no longer just take uh, that that the automatic $600 deduction for couple and many people no longer are going to be itemizing because the standard deductions gotten so large. Okay. Now back, back to the mortgage for here for just a second. And I, I fully freely admit that I'm, I'm one of these people uh, that has more than one mortgage. I have a mortgage on my main home. And I also have a, a, a rental property that is also a vacation home that has a mortgage on it. Am I allowed to deduct the mortgage interest from both homes or just one? I, now, you definitely can deduct the mortgage interest on your primary residence as part of your itemized deductions. The interest on the other home, it depends on how you've structured the rental. Uh, if it's a full-time rental, part of the cost of doing business, uh, of paying that interest, becomes a deductible expense. So uh, to the degree that you've had income from that home, you can deduct some of the expenses for maintaining that home. Okay. Uh, and it is a it depends type of an answer, but uh, you should be able to get those deductions, but in different places on the tax return. I got you. So it's not like a dollar for dollar in the interest that you pay, but it can come off if you if you profit if you made profit from that home, and hopefully you did, because <laughs> that's the idea behind doing it, right? Then then that can come off of your uh, of the money that you earned on that and, and lower the taxable amount. That is correct. Okay. And if that second home is truly an investment property, you treat it one way versus a vacation home that you rent on occasion, you treat it another way. And, you know, for a lot of folks, uh, there's a lot of uh, wonderful tax preparation software out there. But in situations like what you're just describing, the, the, the situation gets so complex that uh, sometimes the software, people don't even understand the questions being asked. Yeah. And it's worth the 30 minutes to an hour to talk to the CPAs or the uh, people who are, are do this every single day because uh, it, it for them is it's like going down decision tree of uh, it, it was this a vacation home that you also rent or is this a truly investment property and they'll right. walk you down the right place okay and so I think every few years it makes sense even for those of us who are do-it-yourselfers to bring in a professional make sure we're doing it correctly and then go down that path for a few more years if you want to do it on your own but uh, things have changed enough to where a lot of people who've been doing taxes on their own are probably seeking out some professional help. All right, Bill, what are some of the most overlooked deductions, things that we should all think of, uh, of deducting on a, on a yearly basis because we always pay them, but we don't always remember to do it? Well, if we're itemizing our deductions, uh, there are a lot of things that people uh, may forget to take off their, the deductions. And I, I think that the uh, uh, key areas are going to be the uh, uh, the, the state sales tax, uh, when we have a, a state that does not have a state income tax, like here in Texas, we're able to take out our state sales tax and our property taxes, but it's only up to the $10,000 limit per year. Uh, but I've seen people uh, not max out and they don't realize that they've got some big ticket items that may uh, have sales taxes deduct deductible. I've also seen people not keep track of their cost basis when they sell stocks that have appreciated. 
the market has been a rough ride uh, over this last year, and there are people who took uh, profits. Maybe they purchased investments several years back, and they went ahead and took profits last year. And I've seen people in their mutual funds and in their individual stocks forget to increase their basis for their reinvested dividends over the previous years. And so it's not really a deduction, but it's a um, oversight to if you put in $10,000 in investment and you sold it for 30, but you had reinvested dividends over the time period of $5,000, your gain's not 20, it's only 15 because you can add those reinvested dividends to the cost basis. And I see that oftentimes overlooked as people are doing their capital gains um, uh, contributions. Okay. Um, beyond that, it's just making sure you pick up everything, like your student interest that you pay, uh, charitable deductions that you make, uh, moving expenses if you had them. Uh, if you qualify for child care credits, make sure you're getting those credits. It's doing a thorough examination of what free money is available and see if you qualify for that free money. Okay. Um, and last topic here, because it's it's, it's something that um, you, know, you, you say the word and people automatically cower in fear. Hopefully, we're not going to be financing 80,000 new IRS agents, or then I'd really be concerned about getting an audit. Um, but for right now, what are the big things that trigger most audits? I, I know there's there's some, used to be like a, a home office deduction, used to be a big thing to kind of trigger an audit. Is that still the case? Uh, it still can be the case, especially as a lot of people were started working from their homes uh, during the pandemic. So this is an area the IRS will be looking to see if you had an office provided to you. And is this home office deduction appropriately uh, uh, accounted for. Uh, it, it can't be a room that's the guest room plus the home office. It can't have multiple uses. It has to be a dedicated home office. That still stands out. But the majority of the audits are mailbox audits. It's, it's basically a, a mistake. And these are oftentimes simple mistakes. Uh, uh, people will invert their numbers or they'll have the wrong address or they'll put things in the wrong box or they'll do the math wrong because they're doing the uh, forms by hand. And many of these simple mistakes are avoided if you just use the tax preparation software. And in today's world, the tax preparation software is available for free for those who uh, uh, have uh, uh, simple returns. Uh, so there's no reason to make these types of mistakes that have created the majority of audits in the past for individuals. So uh, the big ones were, I mean, I mean, the majority of the audits are just mailbox audits where they say that hey, you, you didn't report all your income. And, and this is common because people over the uh, pandemic had side hustles. They would do these part-time jobs, and they'd get paid a little bit from this company, a little bit from this company. And then at the end of the year, they may not have gotten their 1099s from all their companies. Uh, they may have uh, forgot to report some income. And the IRS has noticed that the company paid you, but you didn't report that on your uh, tax return. That's easy for them to match up. So don't miss 1099s or W-2s. Make sure that you reach out to companies that you know you worked with. Uh, if they send the information to the IRS and you didn't receive it, you still owe taxes on that money, and so you're expected to have uh, been proactive and making sure that all of your income is recorded um, properly. And that type of uh, um, diligence should eliminate a lot of the mistakes that uh, are most common. And uh, as I said, most common is you forget your income, you make a math mistake, you put something in the wrong box, uh, or something just doesn't line up. Uh, beyond that, the big things that triggers to the IRS, still home office deductions tend to be those uh, pass-through entities, uh, 
those who own their own businesses and run personal expenses, maybe, maybe not, but they're not supposed to run personal expenses through the business, but it's so common for the business owner to stretch a little bit and uh, put the, uh, put the vehicle that's used for personal use on the business as well. Uh, those are things that are ripe for audit, and that's where these agents are probably going to deploy their time. All right, sir. Always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for the advice. Sure do appreciate it. God bless you. Always good talking to you. Take care. That's Bill Demby, a noted tax expert. You can find him at RaymondJames.com. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. Some violence over the course of the weekend, especially, well, obviously in California, Monterey Park, California, where there was a shooting. Ten people were shot and killed, and more were wounded in in a um, in 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 a Chinatown section of of that city. And you know, it was the Lunar New Year. I think we talked about a little bit about last week. Year of the Rabbit starting up. Ironically, it's supposed to be a time of time of peace. You're the rabbit. Not so peaceful in Monterey uh, Park, California. Um, so there was a big police presence, needless to say. And there was reports of a white van. And as it turned out, they managed to corner this white van. And the person inside the van, purportedly the guy who committed the crime, ended up shooting himself. And that's the end of that. But what was really kind of weird about it, were a couple of things. Number one is the mainstream media just really couldn't wait to label this as a hate crime, you know, because we've had all these stories of uh, of hating on Asian Americans. So the immediate go-to assumption is that this was a hate crime, right? That this was anti-Asian. Well, the person committing the crime, his last name is Tran, and he is Asian. Uh, what part of Asia? I'm guessing with a name like Tran, maybe Vietnamese um, versus Chinese, for example. But I don't think it had anything to do with with hating on Asians as a as a as, as a racial group. I don't know what set this guy off. He, he's killed himself, so we're gonna have to rely, I guess, on whatever evidence they can turn up, as far as uh, his computers and what have you, to try to ascertain a, a motive here. But I don't think it was hate against the race. But again, you know that the assumption gets made. Oh, well, we had we have a hate crime. Uh, well, listen, I would tell you that the crime in general, that crime is a hate crime. But nothing to do with race. It's just you've got to have a lot of hate in your heart if you're just you know, participating in a mass shooting, especially if it's of people you don't know. Now, I don't know if he had a connection with the building that this happened at. Hopefully, we'll get to the bottom of it and find out. The other story is out of Atlanta, where there's some rioting that went on. And the rioting occurred Saturday night. And there was a shooting on Friday involving an activist, an armed activist, who shot a police officer. And they shot and killed the activist. And, of course, the, 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 the people at Antifa, those types of organizations, they don't care about a police officer getting shot. They only care that one of their people got shot and killed. So they're going to have a riot, right? And they basically... They basically said they're going to have a right. Although I have to, I have to say, I suspect something here. Because the same type of event occurred in Boston and a couple of other places. 
and it just happened to be the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Is there any sort of a tie-in there? Is anybody anybody bothered to look to see if there's a tie-in? Regardless, in Atlanta, they were getting ready because they pretty much knew what to expect from this group of, of, of people, these Antifa protesters in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Mike Register, he's with the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Here's what he said on Friday about their concerns of what could happen on Saturday. Acts such as arson, physical attacks on members of our community, focused intimidation of citizens, the use of explosives, and setting booby traps that have the potential of causing great bodily harm or could possibly maim are not acts of peaceful protest. They are criminal acts that destabilize communities and endanger citizens. All we hear about from the Democrats and the media is this invisible world of white supremacy. And yet Antifa is just out there doing whatever they want. And if you look at them, they're overwhelmingly white. They're misfits. They're miserable. And Initially, the media had elevated them because they actually agreed with them because they had they were anti-fascist. Remember CNN? I wonder, I, you know, and, you know, if anybody else had been saying this, it would be viewed as hate speech. It'd be seen as a threat to democracy. But I think that the way the media still looks at this stuff, they've learned nothing from George Floyd, that this is not the voice of the oppressed. These are people who want to destroy society. I would agree. And, and by the way, he's perfectly right about the white thing. Of the Antifa protesters that got arrested, there are seven or eight of them, every single one of them white. Every single one. Antifa is, is, is you know, who these people are that are doing this now, it's not, it's not the, the George Floyd protesters. It, it, it's anarchists. Anarchists have, have, have either um, taken over the organization or are protesting on behalf of the organization. This is the anarchist crowd. That's that's who's doing this in Atlanta. They you know they were attacking uh, a police station. They were, I mean that's right out of their playbook. They burned a police car right out of their playbook. And again, seven radicals were arrested, all white, all I would I would say all twenty something white kids who mugged it up for the cameras because to them it's a badge of honor to get arrested by the police and and to and to cause violence. I mean, it's like a badge of honor for these people. They absolutely love every second of it. All right, let me let me run something past you, too. Because there's a couple of things I saw over the weekend that really got me thinking. And quite honestly made me a little bit paranoid. Every now and again, I, I love Mark Levin. You know, I, I think most of his observations are dead on. But every now and again, he makes me paranoid. And here's another one of those cases. Here is Mark Levin telling us that each of us should file a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, a FOIA request. First, I want to make a recommendation to you, each and every American, that each of you file a Freedom of Information Act request with the Department of Justice and FBI for any information the government might be keeping on you. With all these stories of big tech and the FBI working together, and these massive databases now and the monitoring that's taking place, you may not believe it because many of you, most of you are patriots, but you may have a file. Ask for it. Now, what they'll try and do is charge you a fortune. And so I'm asking the Republicans in the House at least to start the process. 
of exempting any fees and any costs whatsoever of any citizen who seeks through the Freedom of Information Act any information that the federal government might be keeping on them. Now, that'll keep them busy a while, but it'll also teach them a lesson. Don't just gather information on law-abiding citizens, but you should find out what they have on you. Do you think you have a file? Do you think you think there's a file with the federal government that has your name on it? I mean, other than the Social Security file <laughs> or some other government benefit file? I don't know. I'd hate to think there is, but maybe there is. It, it kind of plays back to my paranoia from segment one of, of um, you know, charging us by the mile for, uh, for driving, you know, to, to get instead of the gas tax. That would be in your file. All that kind of tax information, all that kind of stuff, that would be in your file. And, you know, the ability of, um, of government agencies to collect information now is, is, is unparalleled. Not to mention the fact that they all seem to have the cooperation of big tech. Google and, and Meta and, and uh, TikTok and all those people seem to be more than willing to provide that information to the government upon request. So how much information do they have? You really got to wonder, don't you? Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. One more segment to go here in this Monday here on AM 950 KPRC. Uh, let's talk about something. Uh, well, let's talk about this. Let's let's talk about this for a second. This is worth talking about. Um, we had a, a an opportunity to. Hang on, I forgot what I was gonna gonna tell you here. Oh yeah, that the, the debt ceiling. This is what I want to talk about the debt ceiling, because we're seeing all these different stories about um, theoretically we hit the debt ceiling last week only we didn't really hit the debt ceiling last week and then you got uh, Janet Yellen uh, Yellen <laughs> Yellen with Yellen Janet Yellen um, claiming we've hit the debt ceiling I would say well we can keep things going until June that's 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 the date that keeps getting passed along to the media well turns out that's not quite accurate either um, Senator John Kennedy on Fox over the weekend talking about two things. Number one, the Republicans in the House wanting to meet with Biden and negotiate on the budget on that $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. Get, you know, thin that out a little bit uh, in, in return for raising the debt ceiling. And up until now, Biden has not been willing to do that. But it, it it would appear, at least this as of this morning, he's willing to sit down with Kevin McCarthy and to talk about this. Now I don't know if that means something will come of it. I also don't know. Maybe he's feeling a little vulnerable right now with all the things that have been going on with all these documents. You know, we found more documents over the weekend. That, like they found classified documents in like five different places so far. And now the Department of Justice is getting involved as far as looking for more documents. You really have to wonder how much more of this stuff could be out there. Anyway, maybe he's feeling vulnerable. Maybe that's why he's willing to sit down now with McCarthy and talk. Or maybe it's just a delay tactic. I don't know. Uh, at any rate, Senator John Kennedy uh, on Fox over the weekend was talking about two things. The, the, the need 
to take a look at making budget cuts. That's what Republicans want, number one. And and number two, as far as Senator, Senator Kennedy is concerned, is the real date. We're, we're not, we don't have this big rush. The real date of when we could potentially default is a little further down the road than they're saying. Here's Senator Kennedy. Some people, including the White House, are trying to demonize the House Republicans. But they're not saying to the president, Mr. President, we can't wait to default. Mm-hmm. They're saying to the president, Mr. President, we don't want to default. We're not going to default on America's debt. But, but we want you to work with us to control spending and debt so we don't find ourselves in this position again. But if you're President Biden and you don't want that to happen, uh, you, you, you're going to negotiate. Hmm. But what's been the White House's position, Harris? Um, apparently, the White, President Biden's position is I don't care because I don't think I have to. And they won't even meet with the House Republicans. I mean, how very mature. Um, uh, apparently, um, uh, the, 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 the people at the White House are not like most teenagers. They're all over 40. Now, we have time. Um, very little. I know Secretary, well, Secretary Yellen is saying it's immediate, but we won't have a drop-dead date until uh, August, maybe September. And, uh, that and, is and news. The, the White House has time. Because the White, no, we're that's, being told that's, June. That, that's more. No, that's that's a lot true. more that's time. Not true. No, it's not true. We've got at least until August and maybe huh. September, which which is enough time for the White House to to grow out of puberty and sit down and Ooh. talk with the House Republicans. All right, we got till August, maybe September. Now, what he bases that on, I don't know. But you can tell that's Harris Faulkner on Fox. You can tell the way she's reacting. You know, she's she's taking the administration as word. June, we'll be out by June. We'll be out of money by June. You know, you can't you can't necessarily trust anything that you hear. Maybe I maybe I shouldn't be so trusting of Senator Kennedy. Although I know him to be a far straight straighter shooter than most people within the confines of the federal government. I'm more incl- I'm, I'm certainly more inclined to take his word than I would the word of the current administration on when we run out of money. All right, let's let's also talk about this. Here's another little tidbit we learned over the course of the weekend, and that is about the origins of COVID. And a, some emails that went back and forth between Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, and other members of the National Institutes of Health about COVID and getting on the same page as far as the origins of COVID because they didn't want anybody thinking that this could possibly have been created in a lab. Not at all. Here's Dr. Mark Siegel about what we've learned about Fauci and the origins of COVID. This is actually a surprise to me. Now, Jimmy Tobias, who wrote about this for The Nation, that's an ultra-left publication. So you can see that it's starting to raise eyebrows on both sides of the aisle. That's number one. Number two, I'm surprised about that email that I saw there from Fauci, who says, basically, what is this furring cleavage site doing here? And that cleavage Mm -hmm. site is what Dr. Robert Redfield has raised all the questions about. In other words, it allows the 
the virus to attach more easily to human cells, and it is not usually found in a bat coronavirus. What's it doing there? What are some of the other sequences around doing there? And there was a big stir over this, apparently, internally. And Christian Anderson from Scripps in L.A. was involved in this. Now, I've interviewed him as well on this, and he said that over time, looking at different versions and seeing the fully published version of the virus, he was pretty sure that it came from nature. But here's the point. A narrative emerged from NIH, and that narrative was, this came from nature. I have interviewed Fauci multiple times from this. I'm convinced he thinks it came from nature. But the problem is that the other possibility was never given full air to breathe. And as time has gone on, John, as you know, they haven't found an intermediate creature, which which is where it would go from a bat coronavirus. Doesn't just Mm -hmm. go from a bat coronavirus to man. And they've never answered the question about that furine cleavage site. One more point. Redfield says... How did this virus suddenly spread asymptomatically to millions and millions of humans overnight? And Peter Polisi at Mount Sinai, who's probably the world's best expert at this, he paused when I asked him that. He says, it doesn't do that. So, yeah, wet market involved, but lab looks pretty suspicious right now. I'll tell you what. I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced. This is my, my, nothing more than my personal opinion. I'm fir- sure. Did it come from a bat to begin with? Yes. That's the origins of the virus. But listening to all we've heard about, is there any way this wasn't taken to a lab, this this bat coronavirus taken to a lab and enhanced and tampered with and, and, and made so that it would infect humans? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that is what has happened. And the fact that nobody is willing, other than a few a handful of Republicans in the House are willing to investigate that, that tells me all I really need to know. It really does. All right. Hopefully we don't have to worry about COVID anymore. But let's not forget about this, even if we don't have to worry that much about COVID anymore. Have a great day. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 5 a.m. with Cheryl over on News Radio 740 KTRH. We are back here at 4 on AM 950 KPRC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.